welcome to another episode of the Motown Megacast. With me, I have Paul Gassell and Ryan Calores. How we doing, boys? Not too bad. How about you? <sighs> you know, um, I've been prowling Twitter for Red Wings trades because it looks like Iserman is going to make it a busy one. I'm really excited. So uh, let's just hop right into that. I'm, that's what I'm most excited for as a Red Wings fan. Uh, tomorrow we have the trade deadline for the NHL. And there was a lot of questions about is it even going to be busy? betting odds if you put any stock in that was like one and a half for the Red Wings. So or it might have been two and a half, but essentially people expected moves three at most. We've already gotten three moves and it's not even Monday yet. Uh, so let's go one by one. First, we'll talk about the most boring one, uh, but the one that just proves that Steve Eisenman is one of the best GMs in the league. Um, he literally just used his cap space to be an intermediary uh, between two, um, I believe it was Columbus and Tampa Bay, and just used cap space and retained part of the cap space and got a fourth round pick for it. So literally just no assets were lost. The only asset we gave up was cap space. And that's something, that's the one thing the Red Wings have a bounty full of. I mean, they just have so much cap space right now. So, yep, right here. Uh, the Blue Jackets covered there. Yeah. So the Red Wings... Red Wings get a fourth-round pick for nothing. It's kind of amazing. Um, the next one was, I think in chronological order, uh, Patrick Nemeth to the Avalanche for a fourth-round pick. Um, it's a pretty boring one, but I think it's a fair return. Patrick Nemeth is not especially – and it was a 2022, um, I guess, if that matters. Um, Patrick Nemeth is not much of – he's a very average defenseman. He's not quite as good as the other defensemen that got traded, and he's certainly not one of the better on the teams. He was <clears throat> usually like our, our third-pairing demon um, with like a could-be-scratch for a, um, a Christian Juice any day. Just one of those guys that's not in the lineup a lot. To get anything from him, he was a UFA this year. I think that's a win. And then lastly, today we got the news that John Merrill was heading out to oh, – where did he go? Let me pull this up. Uh, Merrill is heading to the Canadiens, uh, and in return, the Red Wings are going to get Ottawa's fifth-round pick, which the Canadiens had, and a AHL player, Hayden Verbeek. So the fifth-round pick is going to be closer to a fourth because it's from Ottawa, so that's something to mention. But I was a little disappointed at the return. Um, if Patrick Nemeth got a fourth, I expected John Merrill to get closer to a third because John Merrill is a better defenseman in, in almost every single statistical category. But... Uh, Hayden Verbeek is a little bit of a sweetener, I guess. Um, he ha had quite the seasons in the—I shouldn't say quite the season, but he was definitely uh, a solid player in the OHL. Um, made the transition to the AHL and just hasn't been able to put it together yet. He's kind of hit that wall that sometimes those lower-tier prospects do. Um, change of scenery, though. He's already go been reassigned to the Griffins. Um, he's coming from Canada, so it's going to be a couple days. He has to quarantine, um, but— yeah, he's going to be back over here. So that's the three trades we're looking at now. This is going to be released Monday, so I'm sure there will be more. Um, I really think Glenn Denning's still going. Um, kind of old news now, Bobby Ryan got injured, and he's out for the rest of the season. And he was supposed to be one of the Red Wings' best trading ships. Just a veteran, great winger, great story, love the guy. Um, I guess the only positive that we can draw from this is the young guys are going to be playing more. We're going to see Svechnikov, Giovanni Smith, and they're more. And... Not much else. And, oh, well, and Bobby Ryan might sign in the offseason because he's loved his time in Detroit. So there's that. But um, I don't want to go too much into trade stuff just because trade deadline hasn't happened yet. So I'll kind of put that off. Um, in terms of prospects news, Joe Valeno, uh, a lot of Red Wings. I'm not quite as high on him as other Red Wing fans are. But I am excited to say he's finishing up his, or his time in Sweden and he's heading over to the AHL. So it looks like we're going to see him on North American ice for a bit this year. Um, I'm not quite sure if he makes the Red Wings. I doubt it, honestly, this year. Uh, but we could see it be a fun couple of games. And then lastly, I just want to go quickly over the Red Wings schedule. Because we this has been a weird, uh, been a weird couple of weeks. So just last night, um, Saturday night, we saw the Red Wings beat the Hurricanes in a shootout. Adam Erty continues to be insane. He took the Red Wings to the 4-3 lead in the third, and then he got the shootout winner. Uh, he's looked like a man possessed, but then you have results like Thursday. 
where the Red Wings lose 7-1 to the Predators and frankly look terrible. And you just, you kind of hurt Jonathan Bernier's trade value there, the goaltender. Because he's been, it literally bumped down his percentage almost a full uh, .01 just because he was at .918 going into it. He's at like .91. Not much of a difference, but it, it was a really bad game. Um, but then they beat the Lightning 5-1. to And the Lightning is the best team in the league. So... Red Wings are a hard team to pin down. You get moments of extreme excitement where you can kind of see the the sunlight at the end of the tunnel. Uh, the 5-1 victory against Lightning, you're thinking, man, we're scoring with depth. Can we actually not put together a run this year, but maybe even next year be a playoff contender? And then you go and lose 7-1 to the Predators. Like a, like an above average. They've, they've been hot lately, but they're still not a very good team. So... Just tough time in a rebuild. Any news that's going to come from the Red Wings right now that's exciting is rebuild or prospect news, and that's what I've got for you this week. So I'd say that's about it for the Red Wings. Uh, let's move on to the Pistons. Pistons also had a pretty big news week, Ryan. Yeah, so um, so first of all, I think um, I'm just going to quickly kind of go over like standings and where the Pistons stand right now because obviously they're um, in the midst of a rebuild and gunning for a lower pick. So right now the Pistons are 16 and 37. They are the worst team in the Eastern Conference and the third worst team overall in terms of record. They are only one game behind um, the Magic and are two games behind Cleveland and Washington. So I've, I've kind of been seeing a lot um, fans kind of like being worried that they're starting to like win too many games if they like win two out of four or something because um obviously any of the bottom three worst records have the same percentage for number one the only difference is um you can only move four spots back from where your record like finishes so basically if you have the worst record you can't do worse than fifth but if you have like the third worst you could drop down to like seven eight you know, and I we talked about um, where I lie with the Red Wings winning. D- do you think some of those claims are like are, are warranted? Do you think like fans should be worried about them winning too many to get out of that bottom three position? Mm, no, honestly, not really. Because I mean, I mean, if you go back the past like five six years and look at the top three or top five picks, and you look at where they finished based on the record, it's just kind of a crapshoot, you know. So. I, there's really no reason to potentially like compromise um, player development, player development and progress, um, just to gun for one of those bottom picks. Because obviously, like the insurance of a top five pick with the worst record would be like, you know, that would be very helpful. But like at the same time, it's just you know, if if you're gonna move up, you're gonna move up. It's kind of like. It's just like I said, it's a crapshoot. So, so yeah, I'm not too worried about it. Um, one of the reasons they're playing a little bit better is because um, recently Killian Hayes has returned from injury since the last time we recorded, and uh, you know he's been he's been playing pretty well so far coming back. I mean, he's definitely still taking time to like get comfortable and kind of acquaint himself again, but he looks a lot more. I don't know if I want to say he looks a lot more comfortable than he did, but um, he definitely seems like he's taking things in stride a little more now. Starting um, to find a role on the team. And, yeah, it yeah. seems like the game slowed down a little bit for him, and part of that is they've been taking him off the bench, which that always kind of helps slow the game down. Um, but yeah, he's been playing really well, and potentially as a result of Killian coming back, um, his buddy Seku has also been playing pretty well. And it's kind of, it's crazy just Killian coming back and Sekou all of a sudden, we see him getting some more minutes, playing confident minutes, driving to the hoop, grabbing rebounds and going coast to coast all the way down the court. It's been, it's been really refreshing after a lot of like struggles this season. So it's been really awesome to see um, Killian come back and kind of elevate Sekou's game as well. Like, that effect is just, you know, it's, like, very impactful, obviously. So, so that's been super cool. Um, 
but yeah, so I'm I'm really excited to kind of see where Killian goes from here and like what what the um, coaching staff has in plan or in store for him, whether he's going to start at all the rest of the season or just come off the bench the rest of the season. Yeah, I think uh, obviously it's the same situation as the Red Wings, um, where all all you're hoping for is just to see, you know, when you see the Pistons win a game just out of the blue, you're hoping to look and see it's because, um, because one of the, one of your young guys gets it, you know, like a someone Sadiq Bay comes in there and wins a game for you. That's what you're hoping you see when you look at the stats, and that's the same thing with Killian Hayes. It just it gives you a little bit of hope as a Pistons fan when you miss a game and you check it and you just see that Killian Hayes is the lead scorer, something like that. That that's just that's what we're going to be looking for the rest of the year. Right, definitely, yeah. All right, and let's move on now to the Detroit Tigers opening season or uh, opening day happened since the last time we were here. So, Paul, let's go into it. Well, if you were paying attention to the Tigers in the first series against the Cleveland Indians, you would have been fairly happy. They won their first two games, got off to a great start. Matthew Boyd looked fantastic, or not amazing, but he did five and two-thirds innings scoreless. That's pretty good. And then they got the job done in game two. Two and all. Then after that, they've lost six out of their last seven games to fall to three and six. And these are all divisional games, and they've just looked horrible. And it's because of their bats. Right now, they only have two guys batting over 250 with significant at-bats. Wilson Ramos and Akil Badu. That's it. But those are definitely the highlights for the Tigers. Let me tell you, Akil Badu has come in clutch for the Tigers. He got a walk-off hit against the Twins and their only win in the last seven games. And then Wilson Ramos has been going off on home runs. Already has four through seven games. That's pretty good. And then you have Candelario, who does have a 235 average right now, which is not good. Don't kid yourselves, that is a bad average. But it's one of the best on the team. But he has eight RBIs, you know, and he has one of the best averages on the team. So you have that. And then you have to go into pitching. Matthew Boyd's look good. The rest of the starting rotation hasn't really looked that great, Julio Terry had looked good in his first start, but he's injured. So they had to call up Alex Lane, who didn't look awful in his opener yeah, against Cleveland. But everybody else other than Boyd and Casey Mize, who's only played one game and didn't even pitch five innings, hasn't looked that great. The bullpen has struggled. Michael Fulmer, though that is your highlight. He's going to become a starter, so look to Michael Fulmer, Casey Mize, and Matthew Boyd if you want to see success from the starting rotation. Okay, so great great talk, Paul. Uh, I want to hit on two things. Number one, uh, your pronunciation of Julio Terran, I must say, was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I like the, I think you said it the whitest way you could have, Julio Terran or something. So thank you for that, Paul. But um, second... Akil Baidu is is the only thing that can excite you about this this Tigers team. <laughs> He's I, really the only thing I wanted to talk about coming in today. <laughs> yep. In terms of the Tigers. Because I'm looking at Tigers games right now. Let me just read some scores off to you. Um, we have, even in their wins, let me let me just read you their wins. 3-2, um, Let's see. I'm kind of hard-pressed for finding wins now. 5-2. Uh, so they don't win games big. And the games that they've lost have been close, uh, um, barred two or three or four. Um, uh, but, yeah, there's there's not much to to watch the Tigers for except for Akil. I mean, he is the saving grace of this team right now. You see the first game, and, and like, there are moments in sports that happen where when you're a sports fan, you see it, and, like, you think it's awesome, but you kind of – you have the thing in the back of your mind, you know that's kind of 
just a storyline, a cool storyline. And, like, it doesn't necessarily isn't something that's going to become a pattern. And that was the way I felt about Akil Badu coming in and hitting his first MLB pitch yeah. for a homer. That is such a good story. That in itself. But when I saw that, I was watching the game. We were all watching it together. I'm thinking, that's awesome. I love Akil, but he's not He's not going to hold this together. Yeah. So then the next game, I, I'll be honest, I was not watching the end of this because it was a disgusting blowout. But Akil Badu hits a grand slam in his second MLB game. Oh. And then the next one I was watching for because w- once you have two things like that, lightning in a bottle can be caught <laughs> twice, but three times. So I'm watching Twins, Tigers, tied in the tent, the bottom. Akil Badu comes into bat. I, I texted in our group chat, Akil Badu for the walk-off. Sure enough, RBI single to get the lead. I mean... I, you can't not love this. And and then next game, it's a little less exciting, but he hits an RBI triple. Just It seems like every time you question this guy, every time you think, all right, this is the game where he hits a wall, he's playing a good he, he's playing a good pitcher, he's playing an experienced pitcher, he just proves you wrong. So I, I'm so excited to see what the rest of the, the season has in store for him. He also had a sick play from the field, from the outfield. He played it off the wall. Yeah, no, he's he's been good on the outfield. I'm very happy he's not at DH or something crazy. So, and I I do credit Hinch. He is managing the team as well as he can because the roster is just bad. Okay, but he's doing good with what he's been dealt. And then I wouldn't expect Akil Badu to keep it up. He slowed down on the Cleveland series, and I do expect that average, unfortunately, to dip below 300. If he proves me wrong, great. I would be thrilled. <laughs> But I, I think he's a little too early to be that good. And I think a good way as a Tigers fan, um, uh, just because we're masochists here, if you kind of want to bring yourself down from the high of Akil Baidu, um, just go ahead and type in um, Detroit Tigers roster age. <laughs> just kind of scroll through. Let's let's do some highlights. So we all know Miggy's an older guy. I mean, that's no big surprise. I'm He's 37. But Wilson Ramos... Oh, your leader in home. Oh, he's 33. Uh, Jose uh, Cisnero. I said that like Paul. Um, he, he's he been okay as a closer. He's had some decent. He's been okay. He's 32. Robbie Grossman, who has a 0.86 or 0.486 on base percentage. Wasn't that what it was? Yeah. He's 31. Julio Tehran is 30. Matt Boyd's 30. Buck Farmer's. I mean. This is, this is a roster full of old guys. And we have Akil Badu. We have Casey Mize. I mean, I, I don't want to paint it as all bad because we do have we do have some things to be happy about. But, man, it it just brings you back to down to earth a bit when you see the ages and just kind of where these guys are at in their career. I would like to add that 30 is not that old in baseball, though. Like 30, 31, that's not insane. You can get 8, 9, 10 years out of these guys. All right, but what are those eight, nine, ten years going to look like for a team that's looking to rebuild? You're not exactly looking at consuming assets above 27 years old when you're a team that has this bad of a roster. That's my point. I don't want to talk trash about these guys because I love Robbie Grossman has been one of my favorite Tigers to watch at bat. Yeah. Because a lot of Tigers games I'll kind of watch, like, I won't focus all my attention on them unless it's like a heated moment. I'll kind of turn it on while I'm doing homework. And... Robbie Grossman's one of the guys I'll turn around and watch his entire at-bat. Yeah. Uh, because he's got almost 50% on pace percentage. Yeah, no, he's fun to watch. He's definitely got a really good eye up at the plate, and, and it, you know, it shows. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's just insane. And a lot of these other guys are are older, but I respect them, and my point wasn't to trash them, I guess. I should have clarified that. It's just the fact that, like, for a team as bad as this, it sucks that the players that are producing are older. It's the same thing we were talking about with the with the Pistons. It's like the Pistons are so exciting right now because everyone who's contributing is super young. Mm-hmm. Is like either in their first or second year. A lot of the guys who are contributing with the Tigers are probably not going to be on the team in two or three years. So sorry to bring us back to earth there because it's been fun. It's definitely been a fun couple of games. It's nice seeing. Um, it's nice seeing. It was nice seeing Matt Boyd kind of return to... Boyd and Fulmer both looked a lot better than I thought they yeah, would. Yeah, especially... I mean, Boyd as the ace has actually looked pretty decent. Yeah. Um, 
And then Michael Former, I, I'm kind of with Paul here. Like, let's say we have, um, was it Jose Ureno who had the um, the rough, rough game against uh, against the Indians? Uh, it was the first blowout against the Twins, that 15-6 loss. I think he was. was him? Yeah. Yeah. Um, he get, you know, <laughs> you see that and you're like, man, maybe one of, because we have a pretty loaded bullpen, even if it's not showing it yet this year. I, I wouldn't be surprised if a couple of them start vying for starting spots. Well, I'd like to add that Fulmer is in the starting rotation now. I mean, he had a pretty good outing in that 4-1 loss on Friday. And with the injury to uh, Tyrion, he'll be in the starting rotation. And I wouldn't be shocked to see like a Tyler Alexander, Daniel Norris, or a Buck Farmer make it up to the starting rotation sometime soon with how bad one or two of these starters are just oh it's horrible yeah um it, it sucks when yeah it's it's just it's hard to find it's hard to find anything exciting right now because we have had a few decent like uh casey mice had a start i mean he looked decent he, he he wasn't horrible he was you know he was above i'd say he was average if not a little bit above definitely had some highs and lows in that game yeah. what what sucks about casey mice right now not not about his playing but it's the fact that he's the only starter that we haven't gotten to see twice yet that isn't injured. So we've seen everybody else twice, and I just can't wait to see him again tomorrow. Yeah, um, seeing seeing Mize, like, like it's it's hard to watch Mize um, compared to some of the other guys because you can see, like Ryan said, there were flashes where it's like, man, this guy can definitely be an ace in this league. This guy definitely. But man, he he does not he doesn't have that much control right now. I just I think a lot of that like a, a lot of those he walks a lot of guys, and I think that's part of what's been struggling him or what he's been struggling with this this year and this past year. So it's gonna be fun to see how he evolves. I'm actually excited to watch him the rest of the year too. Um, same with Tariq Schoolball, just because there are a couple of I mean they're obviously the future of the team, but they both have a lot of raw talent that if they start honing it, if they start like adapting to the MLB level, I think they could be special. Both of them. Yeah, definitely. All right. So I think that's all with tigers. Anything else to add boys? The tigers are headed off to Houston and it's the return of AJ Hinch and good news for him and the Astros None of them are likely to get booed because <laughs> the Astros have been hearing it from the fans. They're throwing inflatable trash cans on fields. And lucky for A.J. Hinch, he hasn't really been getting the same treatment since he's not the entire team. So it'll be interesting to see that return, especially with being fired essentially over the uh, sign-stealing scandal. Yeah, I, I totally forgot about that. Um, it, that'll be entertaining, I guess, uh, just for the storylines. It's kind of like, uh, with the Tigers are so hard being so hard to watch right now, the last couple of games at least, little storylines like this might be just a reason to check in, just to see. I am kind of curious. You're right. Um, like, even you see in the Tigers broadcast, yeah, EJ Hinch has kind of escaped a lot of the hate for this. Like, he was the GM of a team that had the greatest scandal of all time. Are one of the greatest scandals of all time. Like, he's, he's done a pretty good job of kind of dodging that hatred because you have like Jose Altuve and some of those players who any any ballpark they go to they get booed and they people are chanting their names and yeah to cheaters. I, I think part of it is um, I will say Hinch did a pretty good job of kind of just owning it and like yeah you know, okay. not like like he was like yeah okay let me serve my suspension. Like, and then come back to the game, you know? Yeah, that, so, I think that's So fair. he, I don't know, like, he's been open about it before and just, like, you know, there, obviously I should have done something different in this situation. I'm going to move on and yeah. grow, so. Yeah, uh, and yeah, and I shouldn't say it in a way, like, I'm trying to attack him. But, no, and, no, no, no. And, but I do, I, like, I, th I think it's fair. I think he took it on the chin, and, and a lot of the Houston players had trouble with that. I mean, you even had, like, I think it was Justin Verlander who made, like, a little snarky comment 
because the um, the Yankees were actually complaining about them making the noises in the dugout um, years ago, and he kind of shrugged it off and said, "Oh, if we if it would have gotten to, if we knew it got into their head that much, we would have just whistled more." It's like little snarky comments like that when you know you're cheating come back to bite you. So I, I think that's definitely an apt description. That was just that he's he's kind of yeah he's he's accepted it. He's like, all right, I'm not going to change that. and Just kind of moved on. All right, so let's go into Lions. A um, couple of signings this week, and let's just throw it right to Ryan because he knows what's up. Yeah, so um, so the Lions have made three moves and um, since we've talked last, all three in the secondary. So um, first they signed Corn Elder, a slot cornerback from, uh, from Carolina. Um, they signed him to a one-year deal. I, I think it was like a veteran minimum. And um, he'll, at, at the very least, he'll compete for the starting uh, nickel corner spot because they don't really have anybody there right now. And he kind of assumed the starting role for Carolina when he was there. He was there for like four years. And I, he's kind of just going to be a guy that's dependable, if not maybe a little bit boring to watch, but just... I don't know. Kind of just does his job well, fills his role. Well, if if his on-field play doesn't isn't you know at par, it's not very exciting. At least we can kind of hold on to that name because that's just a great name. Yeah, I love that name. I actually Cornelia. just found out it's uh, his first name is Cornelius. So. Okay, that you know it makes sense. <laughs> it makes sense, so it's disappointing. <laughs> but but yeah, no, he's got a very cool name, and he's twenty six too. I I just looked that up. He's he's younger than I thought, so. Yeah. I, I always like in the younger guys. So what's the other defense back? I, I didn't even honestly acknowledge that one. Yeah, so the next signing they made, uh, they signed Quinton Dunbar, a cornerback um, who last played um, in Seattle. So Dunbar um, was an undrafted. He actually came into the league as a wide receiver. Um, and he signed with uh, Washington. And they kept him kept him around for a little while and decided I they didn't really know if they had a spot for him on their roster but they said you know do you want to try going to corner we like we think we might like what you have with your skill set at corner so he moved from receiver to corner and then after he did that he kind of like pretty quickly assumed a, like a role in the offense and then the following year he was like. He actually had like a really high PFF grade, and then he and then he ended up getting injured, and then after that he signed with Seattle. I think he got injured again, and then um, and then he was kind of a part of a little uh, legal scandal where he was um, uh, accused of. Like, <laughs> that's, that's actually what Paul just showed me. That's yeah. why he was giggling off in the back. Yeah, he was accum- uh, accused of armed burglary. It was with uh, the other the Giants rookie, DeAndre Baker. Oh, that's the guy with the giant. Okay. Yeah, but then I know he, this but story, then he man. was quickly acquitted, and they said, "Oh, he didn't do anything." So he kind of got wrapped up in all of that. Okay. It kind of so so he just signed a one year deal with the Lions. It's kind of a prove it deal, you know. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of like. Okay, I so love not so good too. things have happened, but he was once like a really good coverage corner. Let's see if we can kind of get that back a little bit. So if we can do what fans always do and kind of read into it too much, do you think that um, signing two cornerbacks who could vie for a st- – I don't know if Cornell vice for a starting spot, but certainly bolter- bolsters depth. Do you think that changes the way they drafted all this season? Um, yeah, so – Definitely, if both of them play to, um, I guess, what the front office thinks they can play to, like that level, then they should both be um, in the mix for starting spots. Because Dunbar was, like, legitimately a great young player at one point and then kind of just got caught up with all the injuries and the scandal and whatever. And corner corner's like a hard one to be elite at for multiple years on end. You know, like, yeah. like you, even see, you even see guys like... Uh, Corner's a weird one because you see people play on name alone, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Like, um, who's the uh, Xavier Rhodes? Like, for a while, he was just insane. Yeah. But love lady kind of, you know. So, uh, corner corner's a kind of a hard, it's an important spot. It's kind of a hard one to deal with, though. And it, I think both of those are solid signings. Yeah, and it's kind of like, 
on one hand, if he pans out, then that's great, and you can um, start him across from either Oruwariye or Okuda. And if he doesn't, then, you know, you kind of just took a shot, you didn't really risk much, and you still have Okuda and Oruwariye who can hopefully both handle uh, outside starting corner position this year. But, but yeah, so those were the two corners that they um, made deals with. They also signed um, safety Dean Marlowe from um, from the Bills. So he um, he's kind of been for a lot of his career. He was kind of just like a special teams guy, and then he came to um, Buffalo, and then he kind of um, carved out a role for himself a little bit. Uh, he was behind two uh, very talented safety so he wasn't ever a starter but it, he was kind of like one of those guys where it's like yeah i'm sure he could start if if we needed him to start you know so um that's who detroit's getting he's um kind of a do-it-all safety he's spent time in the box and i think he's played some free safety although ideally tracy walker will kind of assume the free safety position and then we'll either draft maybe another kind of like more strong safety or you know maybe it's dean marlowe that um battles for the position or whatever but but yeah so he's gonna come in and immediately uh compete for a starting role and you know maybe get one yeah and uh that's the defensive back end for the lions are definitely one you need to adjust i mean the defensive the defensive back situation right now is pretty rough in detroit um that's why you saw the Patricia gang draft a corner at three last year. Um, yeah. It, again, I don't think the, I don't think either of those moves and I don't think anyone would argue this are game changers. Uh, I think the most interesting thing for me is I wonder if it changes what they, they draft. I still like there, this is a pretty deep corner draft. And uh, one of like the trade theories was they move back and pick up a corner like I, you know, I pause now because they've got a pretty, they've got quite a lot of signees uh, in the backfield now. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I don't know. I'm I'm pretty excited. I, I think uh, I'm just really excited to see how they develop under this new coaching staff. I feel like we've said that's, this so many times. That's the most but, important thing, though. But I just think the old, the old regime, the old coaching staff, just didn't do any favors to like, or or. Oruwariye, Okuda, and Oruwariye, Tracy Walker. He was he was developing pretty well for for he was a third round draft pick, correct? Fifth. He was a fifth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he was. I yeah. mean, he's he's developed well under a garbage regime that asked him to do too much as a rookie. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the same thing. That's that's why with like Jeff Okuda, I could not find myself hating him last year or or getting mad at him really. Yeah. But, I mean, with that kind of defense, Stefan Gilmore would have trouble covering. You know what I mean? Just the <laughs> amount the amount they asked of their corners. Like, the fact that, oh, my God. Well, now I'm getting too, I'm thinking too much about Patricia's defensive scheme again. And that's always a trouble for me because that always raises blood pressure. I mean, can we just talk about how insane it is to run single-man coverage without blitzing? Like, you have you have your corners on receivers, and you're not going to blitz. You're just going to also sit in the back. It, God, I... I really can't wait for this new system to I'm be implemented, so where it's kind of going to be just a faster... Like, we're going to see some, like, design blitzes, you know, probably. We're going to see some more, like... It'll actually of, be fun to watch the tight, or the, the Lions linebackers this yeah, year. Yeah, <laughs> and, well, I mean, that's a little bit dependent on if they make any more moves there. Because I think as it stands right now, it's kind of boring. I mean, the Alex Anzalone signing was kind of cool. And it's it's an interesting thought. Like, J- maybe Jalen Reeves-Mabin is going to finally be, like, an, a, a contributor on defense and not just on special teams. Yeah, um, I think that also – I think the I think it's a little telling that they haven't went after a linebacker. Um, I think that's going to be a top three – in the top three rounds. I think they're going to draft a linebacker in the top three. And then – that obviously, you know, brings us to the thoughts of Micah Parsons and close other guys. But you know, I, I hate to say it, but I've been watching some tape on Kyle Pitts and man, <laughs> I wouldn't, I would not be sad if they drafted him over Micah Parsons. I, I mean, right now it kind of seems like Kyle Pitts 
is unlikely to even make it to, to our pick. Fall. Yeah. So that might not even be something you have to worry about. You even have teams. There's rumors of teams moving up to pick him, like oh, the yeah. Cowboys. Yeah. God. And I mean, there's. I don't know. I I don't really trust any draft rumors. No. Like no, I, no. I I mean I guess I I don't say that, but I take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. But um, yeah. I don't know. It it definitely seems like he's likely to not be there because people more and more teams and draft draft Knicks are kind of just viewing him as like that potentially generational type player. Yep. And, and that like, and I think part of that with what you're saying, um, I, I don't see a world in which Jamar chase is picked over um, Kyle Pitts. And that's kind of my struggle. Like I, I think that it, you'd be kind of crazy to pick, Jamar Chase, like if Jamar Chase and Kyle Pitts both fell to us, and that was our main ones, I would be pretty annoyed if they picked Jamar Chase over Kyle Pitts. You know, I I think, and I think that wasn't necessarily an established thing heading into this draft. Like, but as as we're getting closer, as we're approaching, it just seems like everything's about Kyle Pitts, man. Yeah, um, we'll see. I I really think I think it's more likely for Chase to fall to us than Pitts. I'll be honest. But, um, but yeah, I'll be really interested to see. I think the most important question kind of in the air is, like, how the quarterback situation falls. Because um, that's kind of determinant of, like, obviously how the teams around them are going to pick, including the Lions. What I would want to see from them is trade down, especially if Pitts or Jamar Chase is there. I don't think they need to be drafting tight end or wide receiver at number seven. Trade down and ask for a lot. At, at least get another first-round pick on top of whatever you're getting. See, I'm not, uh, like, if Jamar Chase... This is so picky as a fan, and I hate when I do this because I always set myself up for failure every time I do this with the draft. But I fall in love with a couple of guys. If... If... Kyle Pitts or um, Panay Sewell doesn't fall to seven, then I'm with you, Paul. But man, ah, Kyle Pitts, dude. I mean, that's a kind of, that's the kind of guy who, that's like Gronk level right there. Like Gronk, or not? I mean, a Gronk isn't the apt comparison in terms of play, but just in terms of impact on the on the team immediately. My God, I mean, it's been said to death, so I'm not gonna beat that drum again. But man, he's just everything he does. He's he's essentially a wideout. And he's he's insane, and you also have Hawkinson, who is inarguably a top ten tight end. I'd say at this point, you have him and Kyle Pitts there. That instantly get and and I know you love Jared Goff with all your heart. If you give Jared Goff, Kyle Pitts, and Hawkinson to throw to, he's gonna be pretty happy with you. Maybe pick up a wide receiver in the third fourth round. I'm starting, to, you know, I'm starting to kind of fall into Ryan's thinking here. I'll be honest. I just don't think an offense like the Lions needs two amazing tight ends. I think with Hawkinson, they're good. I don't see many offenses in the NFL utilize a two tight end wideout system. Well, we've already heard from the new regime that they love they love the run game. They love running it up the gut. So if we see a more run-based offense, then that isn't just like zone running that we saw with um with the pass regime with Patricia, just those half-packed pass, or pass-offs just directly into the a brick wall. Like, I think if we start seeing half more... draws. Oh, my God. If I see another half-packed draw. No, but it um, with the new regime, I think that... Uh, you know, I agree that it's not necessarily fitting into the stereotypical NFL mold of what you should build a team around. But, man, I'm just saying, if they want to start changing up how they run the offense if they want to start running down people's throat and then saying we've got two end, two tight ends on the field both of which you need more than a safety to cover you need yeah, like if you have if you have crappy coverage on the two they will take advantage of it you know i and that's just something i would love to see and it's the same thing with um jamar chase just not i think at the high at the same level like i don't think that jamar chase is a game-breaking talent i think he's a hell of a talent but I think Kyle Pitts is just at another level to where I would be remiss if in a few years 
we're looking back and saying, can you believe the Lions passed up on Kyle Pitts right there? Now, if they did end up getting Kyle Pitts, I could see like a Juju Smith-Schuster, Antonio Brown type of thing happening where despite Kyle Pitts being the better tight end, especially after a year or two, Hawkinson is going to be wide open more because they're going to double coverage Pitts and then Hawkinson's just wide open like Smith-Schuster was in Pittsburgh. Now, Paul... You know, I'm starting to see that look in your eye. I think you're starting to like this pick. It's bringing him back, his favorite AFC team, the Steelers. I can see him getting a little sweaty now. Yeah, I mean, that's what you're. That's what I'm saying, though. Like, when you have two, when you have two top ten talents on the field, and Hawkinson has, I think, the trajectory to be top five. Like, I think that's pretty fair to to say. Uh, Some people could argue he's now top five. Um, To have two top five talents in the same position, that's not easy to cover, you know, and, and with golf, especially if they start doing the running thing, Deandre Swift in the backfield, uh, you know, I, I will never ever drink the Kool-Aid anymore. I've learned too many times, but man, it's starting to sound darn good right now. If they start, if they draft well, it's starting to, it's the, the Kool-Aid definitely sounds good right now. Yeah, no, I can't wait for the draft. I really can't. Um, but yeah. And, and it's really interesting, like, how it seems like every week we have, like, a change-up to the top ten, and I love that. It's like like we had the Darnold trade, so it's guaranteed Paul Paul's love for Sam Darnold will not be satiated, in New York at least. Um, they're moving on to looks like, I mean, it has to be Zach Wilson at this point. Um, I think if you don't have a generational talent like Trevor Lawrence, he goes number one. So I think they're going to go with Zach Wilson. I think that's pretty safe to assume. Yeah. Then... At the third spot, you're starting to hear Mac Jones rumors, which just makes me ill. It makes that, me ill. Uh, but but as a Lions fan, that would be just absolutely oh. ideal for Oh, us. the best, because because that way... That just pushes everything down one yep. in a, like In a spot that Mac Jones wasn't necessarily supposed to go. Now everything gets backslid one. Yep, yep. And, and you have, yeah, that's where you see like, oh, Penny Sewell. Hmm, he's mm-hmm. falling a little bit. Yeah. And if the Jag or if the um the Bengals are stupid enough to not pick up Penay Sewell and pick up a Jamar Chase or oh, I think either way this is starting to come up nice. And and then you have I've seen Trey Lance to Atlanta as as a thing too, if um if San Fran doesn't get him, but Yeah. It's oh, the draft I love the draft. I love the draft every year. I get too <laughs> excited for it. And this year is no different. I mean, looking at the mock drafts right now, what is San Francisco doing? Why would they ever draft Mac Jones? So I've actually read a couple of reports of um, the differences that's going on inside, like the the regime, like who disagrees. And from what it seems like, Kyle Shanahan is the only guy, not the only guy, but he is pretty lonely in his desire to draft Mac Jones. The rest of the scouting team don't, wants wants Trey Lance. Wants I mean, because you still have Jimmy G. Have Trey Lance develop behind you. You have Justin Fields, who I know people have lately had weird amounts of trouble with, but he's a very good prospect still. And you just have so many better guys to pick Mac Jones. So it looks like Shanahan kind of likes the the quarterback from 1995, the big white guy who can literally just sit in a pocket. If San Francisco wanted Mac Jones, though. Why did they trade up to three? I asked Chicago 2017. <laughs> I'm moving up to pick Mitchell Trubinsky. No one was going to pick Mitchell Trubinsky in that in that number one slot. Sometimes you just see teams, to guarantee they get a guy they want, they'll just make a dumb decision. It's just something you see. The thing is, they could probably get Trey Lance at six, too. I don't think Cincinnati's going to draft a quarterback. Uh, yeah, but I mean, they had to. Tra- Atlanta is gonna pick pick a quarterback for sure. Or like I, I would. Well, well, that, if Atlanta trades back, it'll be to a team that does pick a quarterback. Yeah. I do. Oh, but there have also been rumblings that they could take take Kyle Pitts. Pitts. Yeah. Man, that's true. But at that point, we start getting to the discussion. 
Do we draft Justin Fields or Trey Lance if they fall to us? Do we? Paul is freaking out. I'll hand the mic to him. I want to see what he says about this. If the Lions draft Justin Fields, it will go down as one of the worst first-round draft picks the Lions have ever had. He's going to be a bust. Now, if they draft Trey Lance, I am not going to be that happy at all. But if all the quarterbacks that could possibly follow them, not name Mac Jones or Justin Fields, Trey Lance would be the only one. And it would have to be at like 10 or 11. So, I see Paul is on the anti-Justin uh, Fields bandwagon, so we're, we're going to have to talk about that. Um, I will say, though, uh, Ryan, I think it was Ryan and I were talking about this. It might have been you and I, Paul. Um, I've, I've criticized Justin Fields in the past, but it's not necessarily because of its game. I'm just looking at past NFL drafts. When you have five NFL or five prospects right at the top for the quarterback slot, Three or three of them won't pan out in the league. It's just, I mean, look at a couple of years back, Sam Rosen, uh, or Josh Rosen and Sam Darnold. I mean, I wouldn't say Sam Darnold's a bust necessarily yet, but man, he's starting to seem like it. And then you have yeah, Josh Rosen. To his draft position, no, sure. no, and Josh Rosen is done. I mean, that was that was horrible. That's a horrible pick. Who knows? He might still have a place in the league somewhere. Yes, as a as a Ryan Fitzpatrick, <laughs> that's, that's where I see him at this point. Um, so that's, that's why in the past I've said Justin Fields, because I think it's almost a guarantee that Trevor Lawrence is going to be good in the league, at least good. I think that's almost a guarantee. Uh, Zach Wilson is also, I think, going to be good in the league. Um, I could see that one busting, but I think he's going to be good in the league. We just have too much other talent. And, so I go all around that to say I don't hate him as a prospect. I really don't. I think he has the raw talent to put it together. He can move on the field, and he has a decent arm too. It's just we've seen some sketchy decision-making. We've seen some some issues with his play. What what specifically don't you like about him, Paul? What's, what's your thought process in Justin Fields? I think he was too well coached, which is kind of weird to say, but... I think Ohio State's coaching staffs makes Ohio State quarterbacks look way better than they are. And then they get drafted, and all of a sudden, they're just, oh, yeah, they're coached by Urban Meyer or Ryan Day. I don't I don't know how solid of an argument where their school's coming, like what their school has done for them is, but I get what you're saying um, because you had guys like Dwayne Haskins just implode just look like one of the biggest busts and Cardell Jones. You know, you have a few other instances, but I think that's unfair to the player. You do have to just look at the raw talent. And JT, you just mentioned JT Barrett. JT Barrett was not drafted like as a, he wasn't drafted in the high round. I wouldn't yeah. count that. That's not, he wasn't a quarterback prospect really. Um, but I, I think it's very unfair to a player like Justin Fields who has shown he was a five-star quarterback when he went to Georgia he played well at Georgia he just he just lost a spot went over to Ohio State played lights out I think it's unfair to purely judge a guy who's been talented his entire life we've seen through the five-star talent just because he went to Ohio State that I mean I get what you're saying though I think it's a fair criticism where you might get like a, um, a Lincoln Riley over at Oklahoma where he just coaches the hell out of quarterbacks and sometimes we see it kind of come down in the league um but then you have like Kyler Murray kind of dispel that rumor, you know. So I think I think it's unreasonable to argue just because he went to Ohio State. Like if you look at his game, I think the biggest criticism would be how he reads the field because he really doesn't that well. But that's such a coachable thing. That's the thing. So your argument is that he, he may have been too well coached. I haven't seen that. I've seen the opposite. A lot of the plays that he made were based purely on his talent. He made some like Aaron Rodgers things. I don't want to compare him to Aaron Rodgers, but he did the. The kind of thing where he takes the game in his own hands for a couple of seconds and just does something himself. And that's why he could make it in the league. He could be like a Deshaun Watson. Someone who just comes in, and if a play gets broken, oh, he just scampers down for a first down. I think Justin Fields and Trey Lance are fairly comparable. I mean, not in like size, but a lot of the stuff they do is very comparable. But Trey Lance, to me, is way ahead of Justin Fields 
especially in potential. I don't think there's any way Justin Fields is going to be a great quarterback in the NFL. Trey Lance has a bigger potential to be a bust, but he could be a great quarterback. He could be a Lamar Jackson in a couple years easily. Um, Like, I agreed with a couple of statements you made there. I think that Trey Lance, if you want to argue, like, who has a higher ceiling, I think we can agree here that Trey Lance has one of the highest ceilings of the quarterbacks in this draft. Uh, the problem you mentioned, the problem you highlighted, is that, I mean, he he could just be the biggest bust. And I disagree with you when you say that Trey Lance is more, like, ready. I, I think Justin Fields is way more pro-ready. I mean, Trey Lance played one game this year, and, and like, a few games last year. He was not, like, a starter, and he started at North Dakota State. Um, so I just, you know, I obviously we've had Carson Wentz come out of – you, you have players come out of small I'm, – I'm not bashing the small schools, but he only played a couple of times, and we didn't see it against great talent. Um, but again, I think that's getting more into just trade philosophies than it is the Lions philosophy. So let's actually kind of circle back into our um, more draft talk in the form of a question. I think, Ryan, you had uh, – for our roundtable, you had something prepared, right? Yeah, I just had a little uh, draft hypothetical. Okay, all right. Hit it with it. So, so I was doing a mock draft simulation earlier today, and um, and so basically I just was kind of just looking to different trade back scenarios, just because I don't know. It's always fun to like think about them, and so I got one from uh, from the Chargers. And they offered me uh, their 13th overall pick and their 47th overall pick uh, in exchange for seven. Um, so I I ended up accepting that. That's and, a nice one. Yeah. So so at 13, um, available to me, Devonte Smith had fallen down to 13, um, and Patrick Sertain was also available. And I stopped for a second. I was like. It seems like the obvious, the obvious um, answer should be uh, Devonte Smith because you know he's a potential like top ten, but but then I was like, but do I want him or do I want Patrick Sertain? It was like, and then I was like, oh. I wonder what Paul and Alex. So would what's do in the this what's the mid round kind of the bigger question to kind of zoom out is what is the what is the if we trade back what's the trade what's the philosophy then what do we go for? So what what other type of guys were there then? So you, so I believe Micah Parsons was also available. Oh, that you know me, I I would go Micah Parsons here. I don't know that for sure, but, but I think as far as too. as far as like value goes, though, like Sertain and Devonte Smith were the like as as far as relative draft value based on what Patrick Sertain is pretty is pretty legit. I. I did. I wonder though, because of like the cornerback signings they have now, and maybe with a new coaching staff, we see some people step up. I wonder if corner is as glaring as some of the others. Yeah. But Sertain, Patrick Sertain is a hell of a player. I, yeah, he's a he's a very sticky corner. Yeah, in this situation, there's no way I would not pick Micah Parsons, because the Lions have been signing a bunch of. DBs, so they could use a linebacker. Or not a linebacker, sorry, a cornerback. No, no, I'm right, I'm right. <laughs> I'm reading the wrong ways. Yeah, so they could definitely use a linebacker out of those three positions. Obviously, wide receivers in need to, but I've made my hate on a first-round wide receiver known. Oh, I forgot to mention, I did actually end up taking Devontae Smith. Oh no, Ryan! No, sorry, uh, but so I couldn't pass up on the opportunity. Oh man, I don't know about Devonte <laughs> Smith. I I'm gonna say something. I'm gonna say something that might get some uh, NFL draft guys mad at me. I would pick Rondell Moore over Devonte Smith. I the thing is, like right now, like without a doubt, Devonte Smith is the best route runner in the in the draft. So like right away, you know that he can create some separation for himself. You know, you wonder yeah, about how yeah. his body will hold up against bigger. He's kind of like a Michael Thomas, just run your out directly and just, you just get it. Yeah. But so, so I don't know. I, 
I think that would be a good pick. If he did fall down to that point, like, I I think he's set up to be to have success, at least in the short game. Now, how about another hypothetical? Say the Lions trade down 13-16 range, and the best player available is Devontae Smith. Like, it, we're going all chalk on talent. The Jamar Chases, Panay Sewell, they're gone. Micah Parsons is gone. Sertain is gone. I would just trade down again. Somebody wants Devontae Smith. I'm just trading down again at that point because I wouldn't draft Devontae Smith in the first 45 picks. You have to keep in mind, trading down in the actual draft is a lot harder than it is on the mock drafts. The <laughs> <laughs> like, you can't just um, scroll through a bunch of like options like that. And, like, and then them. wheel and deal. You do have, <laughs> like, three minutes. Two, two sides do have to agree on a trade. <laughs> and I just want to mention this. When we when Ryan showed Paul this, I think Paul played for four hours straight. We went to eat a meal, and he was distracted the entire time. He he didn't even have it on his phone. He was just thinking about it. I could tell. And as soon as we got back, he was back at it again. So if you hear Paul rant and rave, you might. It's, it's all just based on this game he's been playing. But I do respect it because I'm pretty sure he memorized all of, like the top 32 draft picks just because of that game. Am I right, Paul? Yeah. I, I memorize the names. Uh, not, not in order. Yeah, yeah. So if they draft, I don't know. I, I guess trading back is never bad. If you just trade back again. It's, awful, it, it's right. it, But like like Ryan said, you only have like like three minutes. And you ten. two people have to agree. Is it ten? Yeah. Well... In the first round, it's 10, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. See, I'm so used to Madden. <laughs> it just comes up with a three-minute. Oh, I'm like, oh, my God, I only have three minutes to deal. All right, well. Um, I actually do have one more uh, draft. Just kind of quick little, just want to throw it out there. Um, so the Lions have three picks on day two. They have one second-round pick and two third-round picks. Um what are you guys kind of wanting to like how are you wanting them to fill out their uh like mid round picks or like the early to mid kind of in those day two picks yes so because there's there are just so many ways they could go there's so many because there's so many holes so like what kind of do you think they should be i guess here's how i should ask it do you think they should be plugging certain holes first or do you think they should just be plugging whatever hole they can with the best player available um, so typically, um, in the NFL, my, my philosophy differs from sport to sport, but in the NFL, I'm typically a gap filler because you have, you have like teams like Tampa Bay that just filled all their gaps immensely and ju- and they're just an, an impenetrable team now. Like they're just so impenetrable and it's, and I kind of differ from that though with the Lions this year because their roster is so bad. Like any spot on the roster could use a game breaker. Like, could use a best man available, not even a game breaker. So, I think to answer your question, if I'm looking at second round, third round, kind of those higher mid-round picks, I would just, f- whoever falls there. If, if you have if you have a corner that looks really good, even though we signed a couple of, pick up the corner. I mean, we could use another solid starter. Sure. If you, if you don't draft a linebacker in the first mm-hmm. round, you draft one definitely in the second or third because that is a glaring spot of the Lions. I think linebacker is a super important thing. If you don't draft an offensive weapon um, in the first round, you need to in the second, third, or fourth. I mean, it, it, like, I've criticized Jared Goff immensely in the past, obviously. I don't think he's the quarterback of the future. But even I think it's unfair if he didn't, if he didn't get one weapon from this draft. Um, but I think the focus should be just best player available, specifically on defense. Except for, I, I think, just one more offensive weapon, I guess. Basically, my philosophy at it, like, day one, obviously, get the best talent available, unless it's a quarterback or some position that they don't need an offense. But day two, fill in the other three positions that they didn't get in the first round, assuming they didn't have multiple first-round picks cornerback wide receiver safety linebacker you have three picks on day two one of them will be filled in on day one try to get all four of those in those first four picks but you don't have to 
necessarily reach. If you're feeling like you're going to reach for one of those positions, see if you can get a fifth round pick even for somebody that wants to trade up if possible. If not, then just fill in those positions. Don't go for talent at like offensive tackle or something weird. I was just thinking of of ideal trade scenarios based on what Paul said and just imagine imagine like they trade back to like 13 or 14 or 15 and get like an extra third rounder and then they get they pick get Micah Parsons and somehow Rondell Moore I mean not somehow I think it's very possible he falls to like their second round pick yeah he could definitely be there oh my god so you get Micah Parsons you get the linebacker you get I think one of the better talent, like I, I understand why he's not at the level that um, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, uh, even Devontae Smith. Even though I think Rondell Moore is a better prospect, I understand, I understand why Devontae Smith get the gets the love he does. He is a great player, and like Ryan said, it, his routes are so good. You just tell him what to do, and he'll he'll just go out and perform. He, I mean, he's he's immensely talented at that. But man, Rondell Moore, I think is also just such a good talent. I mean. He just broke every game. Like, he broke Ohio State's back, like, a few times. Like, there were just a few times where he would just come out there against a far better team and just, just destroy the backfield. Oh, I, I love Rondell Moore. Rondell Moore as a talent. I think Rondell Moore on draft night is either going to be drafted way too early, like early 20s, mid-20s, or he's going to fall all the way to, like, 50 or something i don't really see it being like 30 35 range for some reason so ryan what's your draft philosophy then you 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 asked us let's hear your opinion yeah so there was kind of like for the most part i agree with you guys there was kind of one position i did want to throw in there also um i know paul kind of said he would stay away from it but offensive tackle is another position that they absolutely might target because, I mean, like we've talked about, there just aren't any, like, necessarily long-term answers on that right side of the line. And this is a very deep tackle class. So they could it get, is. It, they could get yeah. like, a quality day-two player. They could get, if, I mean, if they went with, like, their second-round pick, they could get a, like, starter there it, at tackle probably. Dude, if you're, if you're an offensive-minded guy, imagine them get, like, a Pitts and then also get... Just a solid. I mean, that offense starts looking good. Yeah. Yeah, or or like a Sewell, like, like. Yeah, obviously, about. obviously, if Sewell falls, then you kind of address that position right early. away. Yep. And then the later picks, that's where you can kind of go. Yep. Your defensive pieces or your other offensive weapon. But yeah, I just kind of wanted to throw that in the mix because I think that's a pretty, pretty likely, that they will target. Especially with the style of football they want to play. Yeah, and I think I think tackle and safety are both very likely to be addressed in day two. Yeah. It's not necessarily a lock, you know, and they might just kind of roll with what they got, maybe sign a few more veteran offensive linemen and kind of focus on that in the future to kind of shore up the rest of that line. But, but yeah, um, so I, I definitely agree with the kind of like best player available philosophy because – I mean, there's just so much that needs to be done. Like, it's, you got to start somewhere. Yeah, because typically, like, you think of with, like, past Lions teams, since I started watching them, it, like, started getting really into most, like, 2014, 2015. And at that point, when they were drafting, I would want them to fill specific gaps. Mm-hmm. Um, but at this point, like, all our needs, you can get the best player that falls there. We have so many needs. The, the, the only thing, The only thing I could consider safe is the offensive line, and even as Ryan said, we need another tackle on the right side of that line. Or potentially a guard, depending on how they see Vitae and Crosby's um, future outlook. But yeah, tackle, I think, is most likely. Yep. Hey, yeah, I, I... This offensive line is, like, the only good thing about the team. It's not even, like, that special. That's That should show you the, the strength of this team. Same thing with the defensive line. I'd argue that our lines are... If not good, experienced. Like, they definitely have... I think they're the most game-ready right now. Like that's a good way to put it. Those are the most game-ready as far as what the 53-man the roster will look like, I, I would say. Yep, yep. I think those are... Uh, yeah. Um, that defensive backfield, even with the signing, still needs fixed up so bad, though. It, it just looks rough. But again, 
a lot of it has to do with developing and what are we going to see from Jeff Okuda. And I'm wondering if, if they're going to start pushing back. I don't know. Based on the moves they've ma- made, it, it, it makes it seem like they know that this roster needs a lot of help. So I wonder if they draft some guys that can kind of step up slowly in the next couple of years instead yeah. of like draft pro-ready. And in the past, uh, Brad Holmes has been really good at like IDing uh, later round talents. Where, like, he's, I mean, obviously he was never the GM. This is his first time, like, GM gig. But um, as the director of scouting, I mean, they were getting, like, I think Jordan Fuller, I think, is, like, a safety they drafted in the sixth round who just ended up starting for them the entire year. Uh, They found linebackers uh, late in drafts. They found just so many, like, just impact players late in the draft. And, you know, obviously... Fingers crossed Brad Holmes can do the same for us and kind of get some guys that um, are ready to contribute and kind of just really make this season an interesting one to watch because it's likely going to be a pretty bad season. So it's kind of like those little things that you can kind of hold on to to judge the success of the season, I guess. And I think I kind of just answered my own question for me when I was thinking about it, but like, I who I was going to say who pulls the who pulls the trigger who makes the decisions on draft day. But I'm thinking man, like with the amount of history with scouting that Brad Holmes has, I think he's got to be the one to do it. Like I know a lot of guys like to put the hands in the in the coach, like the coach can say this is my guy. But based on the experiences they they had with um with Patricia and the old regime, I wonder if Rod Wood and uh, Sheila Ford kind of go like, "Hey, Let's let the GM kind of deal with yeah. this. Let's yeah. have, you know, the, the coach knows things too, but I mean, GM's job is to evaluate talent. And that's why they got a guy who, who held the kind of position Brad Holmes did in LA. No, I've always been a big believer of having the general manager manage the team and have the coach coach the team. Like, what else, what's the GM doing if they're not doing the draft picks? Yeah, and... And, the, like, yeah, you don't see many cases. A lot of, like, reaches and weird picks you see are because of someone, like, someone powerful in the organization falls in love with them. It's not necessarily the scouting. It's not – it's just, like, the – And but sometimes you do see the GM kind of over-GM. I think Green Bay is the perfect example. I mean, the way they're drafted this year, I don't know how Aaron Rodgers just didn't run screaming out of Green Bay. <laughs> I mean, that – That was so funny to watch. Dude, that – that was just – I mean, as a Lions fan, I loved it. It was awesome. If I was a Packers fan, I would be pissed. I mean, oh, just they tried to they tried to be too smart. I think they tried to be like we're gonna do what we did with Aaron Rodgers. Mm -hmm. Well, the thing was, Aaron Rodgers was a generational talent that fell into your lap. Yeah, Uh, Jordan Love was a decent prospect that you moved up to get. Oh, oh God, I just what a joke of. It, It seems like they're intent on staying good, not great. Like they they had that consistent record because they'll never they'll never like invest in this year knowing that next year will be be bad. But anyways, I think that's I think that about does it for tonight. I think that's everything. Anything else that's popping in your mind about Detroit sports? Uh no, I think we covered it. All right. Well, we will see you next week. Um, decent amount of news next week. We'll have more draft news. I'm sure we'll get four new rumors. Probably when we release this episode, four new rumors will just start spreading. Um. And we get the trade deadline for the NHL. I'm super excited. We'll see you next time.